I want to go ahead and ask you to turn over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. Now, we're not going to, uh, to read right now, but I just want you to hold your place there. I uh, hope you, your thumbs are ready tonight. Uh, we are going to be flipping around just a little bit. Um, we are going to do, uh, our study is going to be a little bit different tonight. Uh, we are still talking about Genesis. It's still pertinent to uh, what we have been studying. Uh, but we, as of last week, uh, had just arrived at the birth of Isaac, and we've been, as you know, as I said last week, we were building up and building up to this. Uh, finally, this birth took place. Uh, God blessed, and Sarah and Abraham, who had been barren for all those years, uh, finally were able to have this child. And you know, it was a it was a great time of joy. It was a great time of, I'm sure, celebration. Uh, I'm sure it was a very emotional time for them. And, uh, and, you know, even greater than all that, it was a time of, uh, of God's promises being kept and, uh, and a future, uh, a promise of, of future things uh, coming to pass as well. And, uh, and so, like I said, I mean, it was just a, a very, uh, very great event that we find there in chapter 21 where uh, Isaac was born. Now, what I want to do tonight um, as we... Are, uh, you know, continue on keeping in mind this this birth that's just taking place, all the the circumstances surrounding it, and everything. And uh, I was just thinking about this. Felt led to uh, to do a message on barrenness uh, in the Bible. And Sarah, of course, is the first one I believe that we find uh, that was barren, um, you know, for for so long, and God finally blessed her with a child. And uh, you know, if you look through the Bible. You're going to find many other instances uh, where women were barren, and uh, and you know God would not allow them to have children for a space of time, and then suddenly, of course, uh, He allowed them to uh, to to go ahead and have children, and and so you know it, I know that if you you know look enough at the scriptures, you'll start seeing a pattern there, and you may wonder you know does this all relate to each other? What was the purpose and all this? And so I wanted to do a message tonight. Uh, that's just kind of dealt with that barrenness in the Bible because uh, we've already dealt with it in Sarah's life. And as we'll see in this study, there, there's going to be more that we're going to deal with as well uh, as we go through the Bible. Others, other ladies who had also been barren, uh, but God uh, you know, blessed them and they were able to have children and, um, and He used them in a great way. And so that's what I want us to study tonight. So keeping your place there in Genesis chapter 21. Uh, like I said, we are going to be flipping around for a little bit, uh, but not right now. So uh, just hold your place there, and, uh, and I'd ask for your attention over the next several minutes. Uh, let's go ahead and, and open a prayer once again. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would bless what I've studied tonight. Bless me as I speak. Use this uh, in a powerful way. Um, Lord, help us to uh, appreciate uh, the things that you do, the promises that you keep, and uh, all your ways, and, and recognize that they are all righteous, they are all holy, and they are all good. And uh, God, I pray that as we consider uh, these ladies in the Bible who we know had been barren, uh, that you'd help us understand a little bit more of why uh, this was and what you were able to do through that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want to start off this message with me. That's a great place to start, right? With me. Uh, Nikki and I met in church in the fall of 1998. 
She had recently graduated from high school uh, while I was still in the uh, 10th grade, if that tells you anything. My dad had just become the pastor of Broadmoor Baptist Church, where she and her family had been going uh, for several years. Just a few months after moving to Pine Bluff, I surrendered to God's calling to preach or to pastor. And uh, Nikki was saved, as a matter of fact, the same night. I know I've shared that with you before, but uh, Nikki was saved the same night that I preached my very first message. Uh, now, she will tell you that she does not remember me even being there. Um, but uh, she was saved, and I'm still going to stick to that story. Over the next two years, uh, she and I became best friends. We began dating in September of 2000. Uh, we were engaged in November, uh, just a few months later, uh, and married in August of the following year. Children were always in our plan for the future. Even before we were married, we knew that we wanted three children. Uh, we already had the girls' names picked out, and uh, we just didn't realize how soon all of that was going to happen. In November of 2001, just a few months after uh, we were married, we found out that we were expecting our first child. And August 7th, uh, three days before our first anniversary, God blessed us with the happiest baby in the world, and we were the happiest parents. Over the next five years, our family grew to full measure. We traded in our Corolla for a caravan, and of course the rest is history. Even today, and I know some would say we were crazy for this, uh, though we cannot have any more children, we both long for more children. And uh, I just want to say that children are truly a blessing from God. I heard it once said that God, in His infinite love and compassion, earnestly desired someone upon whom He could bestow His abounding love. So in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, and all that in them is, and upon this finished creation, God formed with his own hands the object of his eternal affection, which, of course, was man. In short, God created man uh, for someone that he could pour his love out to. Uh, so much love he contained. You know, God is love, infinite source of love, and he created man to love, created man, as we've said so many times, uh, for a relationship, but, but someone to to bestow his love and blessings upon. In the same way, husband and wife share so much love between one another that they too earnestly desire to make children to be the recipients of their abundant love. And the nature of all men and women eventually rings God's command from the garden to be fruitful and multiply. Family is the highest experience of love that uh, any people can share with one another. And by those who fear God, children are considered to be evidence of God's blessing and favor. And this is precisely why it's so heartbreaking when couples get the news that they cannot have children. During Bible times, women were, or who were barren were often accused of being punished by God, which we know um, is not so. We find several cases where barren wives were ridiculed and mentally tortured by the fruitful mothers around them. And although barrenness was sometimes an act of God's judgment, uh, oftentimes it wasn't. It's just, uh, you know, just something happens there or, um, and they're just not able to have children. But we do find a list of barren women in the Bible who would later bring forth some of history's godliest men. These women include Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel... I'll see if you know this name, Hazalel Pony, 
which was Samson's mother. I guess that'll be put put it that short way. Uh, Hannah, as we just studied about in Sunday school this past week, and Elizabeth as well were all women who had been barren, who uh, God had, uh, as the Bible says, had shut up their womb. They were not able to have children. God obviously used the barrenness of these women to serve His eternal purpose. We're going to look at three things that the barrenness of these women accomplished. First thing that we find here is that barrenness demanded dependence upon God. Now, I speak more from empathy than experience, uh, but I would imagine that a couple's inability to bear children would take them through many emotional stages. And, and I can only imagine, uh, you know, getting that news that, that you just cannot uh, have a child together uh, would spark sadness, uh, anger, depression, despair, and maybe eventually, you know, as time goes on, uh, acceptance where you just realize that it, it's just not going to happen and I know that even that would be a, a very emotional uh, event in, uh, in the couple's life uh, but I, I believe that all those will probably be present at some point maybe some others that you know I don't even realize then there are those who are uh, there are those who at whatever point realize that if they are going to have children by whatever means, whether they have it themselves, whether they are, are going to adopt or get a child that way, uh, if they are going to have a child, that they must depend on God. And at this point, their focus is on Him. It's not on self anymore. It's not on. It's not on wine. It's not on any of those. But but finally, their focus is on him, on his will, and on his plan. And as I think about the barrenness of these women that we find here in the Bible, I believe that's uh, that's where God wanted these couples. Uh, it wasn't just the wife's attention that God wanted either. Both of them would be raising a child, and both of them needed their focus off of self. And on God, and so by causing these people to wait, uh, you know, not being able to have a child right off the bat. You think about Abraham and Sarah. I mean, up around, you know, Abraham was a hundred. Sarah was nearly a hundred years old uh, whenever she finally uh, was with child and, and had her firstborn uh, son. And so you think about that. I mean, they waited all this time. Why didn't God just give, it, give uh, this son earlier? And so we think about that, but uh, I, I believe that truly the reason, one of the reasons why God caused them to wait so long is so that their focus was on Him. I think finally they, they were restless for a while. They were searching for a while. They were waiting for a while. Then God gives them hope. He says, you're going to have a son. You're, you know, you're going to be fruitful. Or I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so they're searching. They're looking for ways uh, for this to happen. And so you know, they make some mistakes along the way. But eventually they had to come to the point where they just stopped. They shut all other things out. And they were looking to God and saying, God, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to do it. And I think that's exactly where God wanted them in their lives. To gain their undivided attention, God paused their natural ability to conceive and commanded them both to wait and depend upon Him. And that is exactly what they did. We find in the Scriptures that Abraham and Sarah both wavered at first, but later came to believe God's promise for a son. If you will look over in Genesis chapter 25, just flip over there very quickly. Uh, chapter 25 and verse 21. It says that Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, uh, who was Rebekah, of course. Why? Because she was barren. 
Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. Notice what it says there. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. What does it mean that he entreated the Lord? He prayed, didn't he? Uh, he? He went to God. He was depending on God. He entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. We don't have a record of any prayer for children given by Jacob or Rachel, but we do find where Rachel was in despair. If you just flip over to uh, Genesis chapter 30 and look in verse 1 there with me. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. It says, When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children... Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. I mean, she was in despair over this. I need a child. I, I need a son. And had evidently began begging God for children uh, for some time. If you look there in chapter 30 down in verse 22, it says, uh, And God remembered Rachel, and look at what it says, And God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Now, like I said, there's no recorded prayer that we have here, but it says that God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her. What does it mean that he hearkened to her? Listen. He listened to her, right. So she obviously had been praying, and he listened, and, uh, and he opened her womb, as we find there in verse 22. If you'll turn with me over to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Look in verse 2 when you get there. Judges chapter 13 and verse 2. We're going to read a few verses here. It says, And there was a man, a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat anything uh, unclean. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. And I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name." But he said to me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now I want you to notice what Manoah the father did in verse 8. It says that Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us, and teach us what we shall do to the child that shall be born. Now I love what uh, the father says here. Now he's not just thanking God for giving us a son. He says, he says God, I want you to send the man back and, and have him tell us, what. give us the instructions of how you want us to raise this child. They, they didn't want to mess anything up. They, they, their focus was on God and what his will and his plan for this child was. And so that's the point that I'm getting to, is that sometimes uh, this barrenness, what it would do is it, it demanded them to get their attention on God, to depend upon Him uh, for the, the children that they were so desiring. Hannah, uh, which of course was the mother of uh, Samuel, we find her in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find her in bitterness of soul, praying to the Lord for a child and vowing 
that if her prayer was, was answered, that she would give him to the Lord for all his life. In Luke chapter 1, the final scripture that we'll read uh, in this point, anyway, uh, Luke chapter 1, flip over there if you will. We'll read a few verses. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. I want you to notice that. Had they done anything wrong that caused them to be barren? No, they were righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments. It says in verse 7, And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, uh, the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now look at what verse 13 says. It says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. What prayer do you think was heard? Prayer for a child. He said, Your prayer is heard, and Elizabeth will be with child. Now, we have, uh, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth who, like uh, Abraham and Sarah, though that they weren't quite as old as, as uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah were, uh, had also uh, you know, gone past the years of bearing children. So yet God says to them, I've heard your prayer. Now, he heard it, I'm sure, a long time ago, but it wasn't until now he allowed her to go barren for all these years, and now he's going to bless her with a child. And so it demanded a dependence upon him. We see in every single one of these cases where they, their focus was on God, they were looking to him for provision. Now that leads to the second thing, uh, that barrenness emphasized provision. I want to ask you, how many of us uh, thank God every day for the ability to walk? Do you do that in your prayers every day? Thank you, God, that I can walk. Anybody do that? Do what? Keep me walking. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Lord, that I can see. Thank you for the gift of speech. Anybody do that every day? I must confess that I cannot remember the last time I thank God for such a thing. It sounds kind of strange to us. Thank you for allowing me to do what I do every single day. You know, walk. It's natural. I have legs, I'm going to walk. I have a mouth, I'm going to speak. I have eyes, I'm going to see. I have ears, I'm going to hear. Those are all things that, uh, that we just do. And so uh, we do them without giving them a second thought. Yet when I think about the lame man who was told to take up his bed and walk, he'd been lame his entire life, never able to walk, and, and Jesus says, take up your bed and walk, I suppose that not a day went by afterward that he did not thank God for the ability to walk. 
You see, his weakness gave him a keen awareness that God was the one who had allowed him to walk. I'm sure the blind, whose eyes were open, felt the same way. The deaf, who could hear afterwards, I guarantee you, every day they thank God, thank you that I can hear, thank you that I can see. There's no doubt that we love our children, those of us who, uh, who do have children, and, and we're thankful for them. But how much more does a couple who was once childless appreciate God's blessing them with children? See, they're aware of God's provision. I have a pastor friend in Arkansas. His name is John. His wife's name is Amy. When I first met them, uh, they had been married for several years. They had been trying to have a child, um, but they could not. And they had tried for years and years, but um, you know they, they couldn't. They had seen specialists, all those things. Um, I remember I, I had gone over to visit with him one day, and his dog had... Uh, jumped off the couch. He had one of those little weenie dogs, whatever they're called. And, you know, those little short dogs with the long backs, they get to jumping off the couch and things like that, and it will mess their back up. And uh, their little dog had a astronomical surgery that had to be done. I, I mean, the price is just out of this world. And, and uh, I insensitively said there is no way that I would ever pay that much money to have surgery on a dog. And uh, he said, well, they're our children. These are the only kids we can have. And that hit me right in the gut. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to, to crawl under something. Um, a couple years ago, God bless them with a little baby girl. I said that when we had our first child, we were the happiest parents in the world. I guarantee you, they beat us. What was it? There was a keen appreciation that they, they now had for God's provision. They knew without a doubt that God gave us this child. These couples were also aware. If you remember what Sarah said, if you're still over in Genesis chapter 21, if you look over in verse 6, it says, uh, Genesis chapter 21, verse 6 says, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Now, we, we talked about that verse. We talked about what it meant and everything. But just think about what Sarah said. She said, God has made me to laugh. God gave me this child. God gave me the joy that I'm feeling right now. Rachel, over in Genesis chapter 30, look at what she says uh, in verses 23 and 24. She said there in verse 23, it says, And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And uh, I believe the name Joseph means something to the tune of add another or add upon. And, uh, and so she, uh, when she named her son, it was with the hopes and, and the full faith that God was going to continue to bless her, uh, at least with uh, another child. And of course, later she was able to have Benjamin. Uh, 
We find Elizabeth over in Luke chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. If you want to turn there, uh, that's the last scripture I'm going to have you flip to. Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 25 uh, says this, And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying this, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. God gave us this child. It emphasized God's provision for them. Now, the third thing that I want us to, to see, and I think this is uh, one of the greatest things, uh, is that the barrenness underlined purpose that God had for that child. God's obvious involvement in the birth of His children pointed towards the great purpose and plans that God had for their lives. And I think the barrenness itself, uh, in one sense, was for the parents. Okay, I, I think it definitely was. Um, you know, God wanted them to realize that they had to depend on Him for the child. God wanted them to realize that He had given this child, it belonged to Him, and therefore they needed to raise this child in the best way that they possibly knew how to do. I, I think that the, uh, the waiting so long was definitely for the parents. But I think on the other end, uh, that we find that this barrenness, this, this waiting, the timing that God had for this child to be born underlined a special purpose that God had for that child that was born. Now you think about these different sons that we've talked about. Isaac was the son through whom God would build a great nation from Abraham's seed and thereby, and thereby fulfill his covenant. And so God built up and built up to this climax where they had been waiting and searching and waiting and praying and, and uh, you know, when is this going to happen? Well, what are you going to do? And all this until finally it says that God visited her and He kept the promise that He had made unto her. And she bore a son and called his name Isaac. The promise of this covenant being fulfilled. Jacob uh, was the son of promise through whom God would bring forth the twelve tribes of Israel. It's all, he was also the son through whom Israel got its name. God uh, called Jacob Israel, changed his name to Israel. And if you think about what the, the nation is called, they are the children of Israel. And so they took on the name Israel. Joseph was the vessel God used to unite the twelve tribes and bring them to Egypt. Now I want you to think about this. Uh, Jacob, if you remember, took to himself two wives. Well, he got tricked into having two wives anyway. He had the, the first wife, Leah, which was not his favorite, but she was the one that had the most children. And so, you know, he had several children from Leah. And uh, uh, Rachel, who was the one that he had worked for, the one who he loved, Rachel uh, finally has her firstborn son, whose name is Joseph, of course. You know, she was barren for all those years. Finally, God blesses her with a son named Joseph, and Joseph gets taken away and put in Egypt. Wow, why, why all the wait for that? Well, because God had a plan for Joseph. And Joseph, as I said, Joseph was going to unify these brothers. You think about what happened there. Joseph brought this family together who had been squabbling all along. He brought this family together, he unified them, and he brought them down to Egypt just as God had prophesied they would be there. And they grew into a great nation. God had a purpose for this son named Joseph. We talked about Samson's mother and they're waiting and you know his father wanting to know, you know, how do I raise this child? What what should I do? We find that Samson was a great judge and warrior who single handedly crushed the power 
of the Philistines. We talked about Hannah. She prayed for a son. Samuel, who was the last judge, the first prophet, and the chosen priest who would anoint the line of the Messiah. Now I want to say that he was the first prophet. I don't mean that he was the first prophet there ever was, but uh, in the period of the prophets that we find there surrounding the time of the kings, Samuel was the first in that line. John the Baptist was the final prophet who proclaimed the coming of Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, of course, there were others who prophesied, but I'm lumping him into the, the whole uh, prophet ministry uh, you know, that, that was going on there. John the Baptist, uh, the final prophet, he proclaimed the coming of Christ and, uh, and pointed all men to him. By bringing these women out of barrenness and giving them the children that they had so long been praying for, God was claiming them for himself. These were to be his men used for his purpose. And so as you go through the Bible, as I said, you know, you're going to find these times where you'll see these ladies were barren and they weren't able to have children, these couples, you know, not able to have children for so long. And finally, they have one, and you'll notice that God's going to do something great uh, with that child. He had a purpose uh, all along for this. And so I just wanted to bring that out. I hope that it makes sense. And um, I want to open the, the floor for any discussion or questions that you might have on this subject. Comments, anything? I think God gives his children when, at his specific time. Right. on this? Yes, ma'am?
Involvement was definitely in it. Mm-hmm. For that to go, I think we spoke a some years later. The things that just went, mm-hmm. it takes years to accomplish. We were able to get accomplished in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Amen. And they got a Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, yeah. But there's some celebrating when those kids came home too. There was, <laughs> yeah, amen. We moved into this building and closed, closed, signed the adoption papers all the same week. Oh well. Wow. We've got a new family and a new church property. <laughs> amen. So God's timing is unbelievable. Amen. And that has left a permanent imprint on my heart. Even though you know that wasn't that big a deal to everybody else. Right. We wanted four kids, but God said, no. <laughs> now I'm so thankful. <laughs> <laughs> he said three's enough.
then. They definitely tried. They had a lot of kids. I know we came from a big family and so did I. But they needed crop workers. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and then Joseph didn't do any work out in the fields, did he? Baby. Anybody else do anything? All right. Thank you for your attention tonight. I, I hope that this made sense. I hope that it will um, you know, stir up your interest as you read through and some of those situations come up and uh, just to be looking around and, and seeing, seeing what Scott's doing, see, see what his activity was in this and how he used this to bring not only the children but the parents closer to him and, and more focused on him as well. I hope that this study will uh, be an encouragement to you in that aspect.